You can be opening your Bible at Acts chapter 2. I'm so grateful we could sing that last song, that hymn, as Baptists, not as others. We sang Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine instead of Blasted Assurance. I've lost it again. So that was, uh, that was great. Uh, I, I really appreciated all the, all the songs we sang. It was exciting. Um, today we're, we're talking about the birthday of the church. The birthday or the, uh, of the church, the, the birth of the church, really. And uh, I, I want to start with some questions, and I know you just sat down, but I don't want to ask the questions until we've read the Scripture. So now that you've got your Bibles open, Acts chapter 2, first four verses, let's stand back up, and we'll read those, and then you can sit down, and you'll be there for about an hour, so it'll be fine. Don't leave, I was kidding. 50 minutes. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for... Um, this passage, it tells us about the birth of the church. And, and Lord, indeed, this is the day uh, in, recorded in Scripture when uh, not only did you come to live with us, you came to live in us. And we are so grateful that the, that the glory of God is, we carry around this eternal weight of glory in, in broken clay pots. And so, Lord, we thank you that we are broken for your light shines through those cracks and that brokenness. To show the power of God that, that brings healing and, and restorations. And we know that one day you're going to take that clay pot and remake it. And it will be made into a perfect uh, dwelling place uh, forever. Uh, that we can be with you in heaven. So Lord, we fear not death. We fear not the uh, setting aside of this uh, tent in which we dwell. Knowing that you're going to resurrect and make a better place uh, for us. A uh, new body. And that in the meantime we'll be with you forever and ever. So, Lord, we pray this day you might help us as a church to see what you expect of us, what you want from us uh, in the power that has been given to us uh, and which is yourself in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we thank you for coming, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, for sending the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for this plan uh, of, of bringing the restoration and reconciliation. And that we, we thank you for all of these things in the name, the power, and the authority of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Y'all can sit down. This, is, this, this passage, I, I love this passage. Obviously, I, I get excited about this passage. Because this is the, the, the record of the church being born. Now, the, the actuality is it'll take this whole chapter to see everything that happened that day. This is a little bit of a kind of a preamble to set the scene and, and, and so we won't get to everything today, and I'm going to assume that you've read Acts 2 before. A lot of times we talk about this preamble, then we jump over everything Peter said and run on, uh, and, and that's, a, that's an error. Peter is laying down the very first sermon preached by a spirit-filled man that wasn't Jesus. I think I can say that. Maybe, that, that might not be quite true because John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit. But, but uh, I, sorry, I made that statement off the top of my head and then I realized, wait, there's an exception. But, uh, but in the church age, when, when the church has been born, that Peter's going to preach the first sermon in just a few minutes after the events we're going to look at today. And we're going to see 3,000 people get saved. Amen. That's awesome. Uh, you, you know, I'm, I, I've seen 3,000 people get saved, but I wasn't preaching, I can tell you that. 
You know why 3, 000, at least 3,000 people got saved there that day? Because there was at least 3,000 lost people that heard the gospel. It's a weird thing. The more you tell lost people about the gospel, the more people get saved. It amazes me. It's just, it works every time. Do you know that? People always want, how do we get this? How are we going to go tell somebody about Jesus? That's how it gets done. That's, and that's it. So, so I, I, wanna, I wanted to ask you some questions. We've, we've read these verses. I hope you're paying attention as we read. Because I want to ask you something. Where is the buildings that they're going to meet in? Well, it's the birth of the church. Don't you think God wanted to have a building there? I mean, isn't this building, where do you go to church? I go to Calvary, that building up there on 105 Garland. Isn't this the church? No, it's the building the church meets in, right? The church can meet under a tree. The church can meet in a strip mall. The church can meet at an elementary school. It can meet in a theater downtown. The church is not this building. This building is just sticks and mortar, right? So there were no buildings. In fact, there, were, there wasn't a openly used building for the people to meet in on an ongoing basis till about 330 AD after persecution started. The very beginning, they didn't think it was a big deal. It was just a couple of weirdos over here talking about this new thing. And as the church began to move, Rome began to persecute in certain places certain times. They had to go into secret. And so there was no open building until, until uh, the Roman emperor uh, made it legal in 330 AD and then buildings started. So for 330 years... Justin, how does a church meet without a building? I just don't get it, brother. Justin's about to go to Africa where they, he was just reading a report. I talked to him out in the lobby coming in. Did you say 21 people have been saved in the last how long? In April. In April. How many people got saved here in April? How many churches start here in April? Those backwards, simple little Africans, they don't know what they're doing. I hope you don't feel so high and mighty all of a sudden. Anyway, sorry, I'll start fussing instead of preaching. I don't need to do that. I got another question. Where are the committees? How do you have a church without committees? Y'all know what a camel is, right? It's a racehorse built by a Baptist committee. How can we possibly do the work without a women's committee and a men's committee and a children's committee and a, and a supper committee? A friend of mine was a pastor one time in this church. who just built a gymnasium. We said, man, we ought to get the preachers together. Come here and play basketball on Thursday night or something. And he said, yeah, I got to ask the choir committee if we can do that. See, a lot of churches, the committees, man, they, they try to run everything. And you know what I'm talking about? Y'all just look at me like half looking at a new gate. Y'all never been to church before? I mean, I don't know about y'all, but where I come from, it just, it just happened. There was no welcome committee for the Holy Spirit when he got there. Where did they write down the order of service? Where is the bulletin? How do they know what to do next? I mean, how do you know when it's your turn to preach if there's no order of service? Oh, I can't understand how they make this happen. Now, y'all notice in our bulletin we don't put the order of service. That's because if we want to change something, you don't even know it. <laughs> it just happens. When you work around me, you got to be ready to preach, pray, or perish in one minute. Okay, because... You don't know what's going to happen next sometimes. But actually, I don't think we even did it before I got here. But, but 
I, I've been in churches where, boy, that order of service better be there, and, and it better be in a certain order. And John Brown, you better obey it. That's why we started praying, Lord, do something we didn't write down in the bulletin. Because we want God to do something we don't expect. And, and, and the last question I, I have is, what, what happened to the hymns? Where are the hymns? Well, they haven't been written yet. Y'all do know when the hymns that are in the hymn book got written, they were contemporary music at the time. And then the next generation didn't, wrote new music, and the people that sang the music from the generation before didn't like the new music. And so then that generation grew up, and they didn't like the new music. The next generation is right. That's been going on for 2,000 years. That didn't just start. And, when, and, and let me just explain something to you. None of the things that I've mentioned are bad. They're just not necessary. That's the point I want you to get here. They're not necessary because the power for the church to affect the world is not in any of those things. The power for the church to affect the world is in the person of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to refer to the Holy Spirit a lot. We're going to refer to speaking in tongues. We're going to refer to baptism and filling in the Spirit. And I just want to make some, a couple of words clear here. Um, there was a movement within the church uh, back 50 years ago. Or it's actually older than that, but it kind of came in a promise about 50 years ago. And, and it still kind of goes on today. And, and you know it as, they call it the charismatic movement. And I, I don't even like using that term. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because I am charismatic. That word means gifted. You are charismatic. You are gifted. Now, there were some specific things in there, and, and I, I don't even want to get off on that. But I'm going to use that term some, so I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not putting down anyone. I'm not raising up anyone. Baptists got enough problems of their own. I don't need to be fussing anybody else too much, okay? If it's heresy, I'll fuss about it. But if, but if it's not, I won't. But, but I want you to understand that because I, I got the hardest task of any Baptist preacher ever today. I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And most Baptists are so afraid of the Holy Spirit, they're afraid of getting out on a limb so they won't even climb the tree. And if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're not saved. That's just a fact. Read Romans 6, read Romans 8. If the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell with you, you're lost. And the Bible tells us to be filled with the Spirit because that is the power that helps us to do the things that God has called us to do. Sunday school lesson today, we're talking about walking in the Spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And the way you do that is not to, like, I'm going to be real strict, not do the deeds of the body. And it's not I'm going to be real religious and do the things that I'm supposed to do. It's that I walk in the Spirit and let God lead me. And as, as people, not as Christians, but as people, we want either a set of rules that we're to obey or a set, or a set of things that we're not supposed to do. Baptists, there used to be Baptists who used to say, I don't smoke, drink, cuss, chew, or run with people who do. That don't make you holy. Using your spiritual gifts doesn't make you holy. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I thank God that you do not lack in any spiritual gift. In other words, they had all the gifts in that church. And then a few verses later he says, but I must speak to you as babes, not as to mature men. They were not mature spiritually because they had sin in the church, even though they were gifted in exercising their gifts. We've we got to get a biblical understanding of what God does in our lives. And, and so I kind of preamp, this is kind of a preamble to the preamble that I'm going to preach on. So I, I want to give you a, 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 just something to take home with you. It's a little bit silly today. I hope you'll remember it. Like any birth, the birth of the church came with some noise. 
You know, when a baby's born, the mama's screaming, the baby's screaming, the doctor's screaming in some cases. I mean, it's just a, it's a noisy thing. It was a noisy thing that day, but it had a purpose behind the noise. And I want you to catch that purpose. And in, in, in these verses, I've got three big things. And you might get lost in minutiae because I'm just going to give you the big titles. But, but here they are. First of all, there was a specific setting. There was a very specific setting for this. Notice what it says. At the day of Pentecost arrived. I love what the King James, how the King James translates that. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. It is the second festival in the Jewish calendar in this time of year. There were three in the spring, there's three in the fall. We, we, you hear a lot about these Jewish times, Yom Kippur, uh, all these things, Rosh Hashanah, Passover, Pentecost, and it sounds like they're doing it all the time. They actually do it twice a year, in the spring and the fall, and it's a, it's a, it's a group of festivals. This is the second one. Pent means five, because this was 50 days since Passover. The Sabbath of the Passover marked the beginning, 50 days later is Pentecost, and Pentecost is the reaping, the harvest coming in. See how God likes to do things consistently so you get it? <laughs> Jesus dies at the Passover, and he starts to reap the fruit at Pentecost. You get it? Y'all with me? 50 days later, just like, like I said. So there's a specific point in time. There was a specific place in verse 1. They were all gathered together in one place. They were in one spot. Now, we don't know exactly where that spot was. It just says one place. We believe it's the upper room. That seems to be kind of where they staged up Lord's Supper there. And then he goes from there to the cross and the trial and all that. And it seems like they just kind of stayed in the upper room. And, and we don't know the details of that. We really don't. But, but they're there somewhere. They weren't that far away from anything in that upper room. But that's where they are. And it's probably about 120 people. Last time I got to preach out of Acts, uh, we were talking about that. And they got bored and they brought Matthias along. And if you were here for that sermon, I said, I don't know if that was even right. I don't know if Peter was supposed to do this. But I do know this. Matthias is present there. He's one of the 12. He got filled with the Spirit. He spoke in tongues. And he saw people get saved too. So God accepted it. Right? I think God really wanted Paul in there too. And so, like I said, God can do what he wants. He doesn't have to check with me. Uh, if he said 12 and then he makes it 13, that's up to him. I don't care. But what I'm telling you is that, that they were together in one place. And so they, they were there. And, and I, 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 I want to be able to apply this because we're not going to have another Pentecost. The first one still works. And that's what we've got to realize as a church. We've forgotten that. We have forgotten. In, in other words, not to use religious terms, but I don't need to be born again. I was born once. I'm still here. I'm going to die, but I'm not going to have a second physical birth. I, I, I'm going to have, I've already had my second spiritual birth, and then God's going to do some things in the future. But I'm not going to be reincarnated. I'm not going to be born a second time, as Nicodemus said, and he said it right. Jesus said, born from above. He said, how can I be born a second time? He said, no, you don't get it. You're born of water. Your mom, mom's water broke. You were born. Now you got to be born of the Spirit. Well, now the Spirit has come, and we're getting to start to understand that. You with me? I'm talking fast. I want to make sure you're with me. You with me? Okay. Well, so they were together. And so when I started thinking about that, well, how do we apply that today? They were together in one place. How would you like to miss church on the Sunday that God decides that he wants to send revival to Calvary Baptist Church to reach Stanton for the Lord? I would hate to be the guy that had said, I wish I'd have been there. I mean, I don't think you can't not get in. I'm just saying, I don't want to miss it when it first happens. Do you? 
I want to be here. I got that disease where I don't want to miss out. When I was a little kid, I have to go to bed and the adults were still up talking. Drove me nuts. I wanted to hear what they were saying. I want to talk. I want to hear, hear them talk. I grew up in, a, in a, a storytelling family, if you will. And I love listening to them tell stories. I still love to hear people's stories. Kind of in my daughter. A lot of people have that problem. Now it's called Facebook. And if you're getting your stories from Facebook, don't believe 99% of what you're getting. But be that as it may, that is, that's why people get addicted to that stuff because we, it's, it's called a fear of missing out. I don't know what the real term for it is, but that's actually what it is. If I don't look, I might miss something. Man, I would hate to miss the day that God wanted to do something different and special that we never noticed before. Let, let me give you a phrase to describe these four verses. God showed up and showed off. Okay? It made everybody look good, but it was God doing it. I used to, a friend of mine, he's now planting a church in North Carolina, I, saw, I mean, New York, saw him when he got saved, and he loved to say that. Oh, we're just praying God will show up and show off and make everybody look good. And I thought that was a great way to put that. And that's what God's about to do. And they were in one place, but notice it says they were together in one place. You know, you can have a lot of people in a room, but they'll not be together. And I don't want to over-spiritualize it because it's not making this point in the text, but I think God wrote things in certain ways so we could kind of get some extra stuff out of it. And I think the extra stuff is they had one purpose. They had one mind. They had one reason for being there. And that was to wait on the power from on high that, God had, that Jesus had promised them. And the church is about to be born. And let me just tell you, when we get together as a church, we each one have an idea of what ought to be done. Did you know that? As a pastor, I get this a lot because you and your friends have your idea and y'all talk amongst yourselves and you begin to think that your idea is the only idea there is. What you don't know is there's 10 other groups of people in the church getting together, talking about their idea, and they got an idea of what they think it ought to be. And I'm the guy that has to herd the cats. <laughs> so sometimes when you come to me, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I can't tell you what's going on over here because... And it's, it, 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 it's just that I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you, it, there, there's a bit of a dance, if you will, to all of that. And, and it's good because what God is doing is he's laying something on your heart that we might need. And I appreciate that. But let me just tell you, the church exists for two things, and that's it. Well, it exists for one thing, but it's, it's seen in two ways. It exists to glorify God. And it glorifies God by doing this. Bringing people into a reconciled, restored relationship with God through the Sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. Amen. Taking those people who have been restored and reconciled to God through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And growing them up into a mature man in Christ. Anything you do outside of that is pointless and a waste of time. And I, I can't explain that further. That's a period there. Because what I was saying earlier when I was asking those questions, those things are useful, they can be useful to us, but they are not the point. And if we can use them to make the point good, but if they don't help us make the point, get rid of them. If you've got a committee that does not, what their job is, doesn't help the church lead people to Christ or help them grow in Christ, get rid of the committee. It's pointless. It's unnecessary. It's a drain of energy and effort. Our job is to glorify God through helping people know Christ and helping them to grow to look like Christ. And we do that in the power of the Holy Spirit who's come to live with us.
It's that simple. It really is that simple. We've complicated with all of our trappings. We've complicated with our clothes and with fighting over stuff that doesn't really matter and is not really necessary. We may have committees, and that's great. That's fine. You can get a lot done. You you can get a lot done by having a building to meet in. That's fine. You get a lot done through music. In fact, there was a whole revival movement, I think it was in Wales, where it was just music. It it wasn't even preaching. They just sang, and God came, and they saw people get saved, and it was an amazing thing. It's it's a great thing. Music is, is a wonderful tool. And, having, and knowing what you think you want to do next is a good thing. But if you're tied down to that so much that the Holy Spirit doesn't have any power to move and move you, then, then you've made an idol out of that thing. That's idolatry. And if you ask God to bless your thing that he doesn't want, that's blasphemy. And so many times in churches, we're asking God to bless what we thought of and what we think is a good idea and what we want to do. And that's blasphemy and idolatry coached in the realm of prayer and doing something we need to do what god called us to do we need to be witnessing and leading and helping people grow discipling people to grow in christ it's hard for somebody not disciple to disciple though right so we've got to we've got to understand that and begin to work on that you say man you sound like you're fussing no i I just get passionate about it because we've made the simple complicated and that therefore made ourselves ineffective and I say we, I don't think we thought of that. I think we had help thinking of that. And it wasn't from God. And when we get trapped in that, we, we get messed up. And so God had a specific point in time, a specific place, and a specific people. The people that met together for the purpose that the Holy Spirit could come and they could become his witnesses. And when that happens, God will show up and show off. And, it, and it's just an awesome thing when he does. And then not only was there a special setting, there was a special event that happened. And we see, first of all, there was a very specific source. This is in verses 2 and 3. Look, at, look what it says in verse 2, the way it begins. And suddenly there came from heaven. I, I just love that this came from heaven. It was the sound of a rushing mighty wind. But it came from heaven. Friend, let me just tell you something. You and I cannot produce a revival. You've you got to get a hold of this. We cannot produce a revival. We can, we can disciple we can pray, we can be totally walking in God's will and not produce a revival. That is a work of God. We have to ask him for that. And we've got to, we, we've got to believe he wants to give it to us. But we've got to get ourselves in the right standing with him. We've got to become filled with the spirit, which is to empty ourselves of the bad and fill ourselves with the spirit. And we don't fill ourselves. We go to Christ and ask him to fill us with the spirit. But, but we, the first thing we've got to do is repent of any known sin. We've got to get rid of that. We've got to say, Lord, I'm filled, this, my bottle is filled up with some bad stuff, and I want to empty that and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, I, I, and, and the Bible says in this sermon, in, down in, in verse 30 or 33, we'll get to it eventually, that Jesus was, received the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he poured the Holy Spirit out on, on the church, on us. And so we go to Christ for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit fills us, he talks about Jesus. So that when we witness, we can talk to people about Christ and the power of the Spirit. I hope that didn't sound confusing because it's very clear in my mind as I said it. Uh, I hope you caught uh, everything I was saying there. But here's what I'm saying. It comes from heaven. And so many times we desire it or we've seen it and we're losing it and we want to maintain it. And so we, we overemphasize the trappings of revival to the point that we become a caricature. 
And, and, and th- this is the point where I'm, I'm going to talk about other groups of people, including ourselves. Baptists just organize themselves out of the Spirit. I mean, let, let me tell you, we count everybody. We count to you every time you show up. We know how many people are in this auditorium right now. We know how many people came to Sunday school. We know how many people come tonight to different events. We keep records. We're, we, we're, we're fanatical about that. There's one record we don't keep because we don't know how to keep it because it's impossible. But we know it in general. And that is, how many people does every Baptist lead to Christ? Southern Baptists, I mean. There's a lot of different Baptists, just our group, the Southern Baptists. We don't know. Well, we kind of know. It takes 45 Baptists one year to lead one person to Christ. And that was an old statistic. It may have been worse than that now. It takes 45 people in this church to lead one person to Christ. We get about 450 people coming on Sunday mornings into two services. Therefore, we can expect about 10 people to get saved this year, statistically speaking. If we beat that, we're beating the, the standard. We're beating the, the, the actual uh, statistic, I should say. Now, I don't know about you, but that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Did you know if, there, if it took 20 of us one year to lead one person to Christ, we'd be in the top 3% of the Southern Baptist Convention? Pastor Kareem, God used him last week. I won't put the blame on him. Pierced my heart. His statistic was wrong, but as I got to thinking about it, and I asked this morning, there's about 25,000 people that live in the city of Stanton. It's actually 24-5 according to John Hartless. So if I'm wrong, you can blame John. We got about 450, let's round it up to 500, which is also not true, but I'm not really good at math. That means if everybody showed up here on Sunday morning and talked to one lost person every two weeks, one person every two weeks, at the end of two years, everybody in Stanton will have heard the gospel. They might not all get saved, but they will have at least heard the gospel. All I'm saying is, if you will talk to 26 people over the next year, and then 26 people the following year about Jesus, and each one being a different person that you didn't talk to before, at the end of two years, everybody in Stanton will have heard the gospel. And an even faster way to do it is if I talk to somebody about the gospel and they receive the gospel, I help them start talking to other people about the gospel. And then we can multiply it. It gets faster and faster. You say, that sounds almost impossible though. Really, Paul was in Ephesus for two years. At the end of two years, everybody in Asia Minor had heard the gospel. And he didn't do that by doing it himself. He stayed right where he was. As he talked to people, they went out, and they talked to people who talked to people who talked to people who talked to people. So that the gospel went out in two years. So the problem is not, can we? The problem is not, are we able to? The problem is, are we available to do it? There's the issue. So, I, I kind of, I'm running some rabbits here, so I want to make sure I get to stay on the track. It comes from heaven. The power to do that comes from heaven, and you can't manufacture that. There's no way you can do it. That's what I started to say. I mean, you, you know, like, let's have a real exciting praise service. We, we, you know, if you're like me, I've got one thing musically that I'm all about. Speed it up. I'm always about going faster. I like fast songs. I like loud songs. I'm just always about that. There's some t- I like meditative songs too, but my nature is to go faster. 
And so when I get into service, man, I like a song where I'm just... And that last hymn, that was the slowest song we sang today. And I was over there going, this is my story. This is my song. Because I mean it. You can have enthusiasm in a slow song, right? I guess I just don't like boring people. That's probably what I'm saying, but... So we'll get a band, man, and we'll get lights and smoke, and we'll be really rocking this house. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're doing that trying to work something up, or I've got a sermon. You know what? If I say it like this, Jesus is Lord, or I say, my brother, let me tell you something. Today, you got to know, he came out of the tomb, and he's Lord. See, y'all just thought the Holy Spirit fell right then. (laughs) The truth's the truth, no matter how I say it. You following me? So we get caught in these trappings and we're trying to do something. Get, we're trying to twist God's arm. Man, why don't we fall on our face and say, God, give us revival. The greatest sermon ever preached on this continent, probably. Still considered that. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Was read by a nearsighted man in a monotone. And God dropped revival on America through that. Friend, let me just tell you, it's not the method. It's the person. And it comes from heaven. There came a sound from heaven. And notice, it was a specific sound. What was the sound? As of a rushing, mighty wind. Or a mighty rushing wind, as it says of mine. Do you know the word for wind and spirit in Greek language is the exact same word, pneuma, or pneumas. If you are somebody who works with pneumatic tools, you know what I'm talking about. A wind tool, it's an air tool. It's the exact same word. So if the spirit is coming and it makes the sound of a wind, kind of how God sort of engineered that so we would get it. That there was a sound, it's like a tornado coming in. I just think if God's going to show up, it's going to make some noise. It was a sound. They thought a tornado was tearing a place apart. Now, I, don't, I mean, we had some tornadoes a few weeks ago. I don't know how many tornadoes come up through these mountains, but... Where I, I, I was from, we'd have tornadoes every once in a while. And after every tornado, they put the mic in the face of some poor fella going, yeah, it sounded like a freight train coming through here. Right? I have yet to hear a reporter put a mic in the face of somebody been through a tornado didn't hear those words. It sounded like a freight train. Well, of course it did. Now we listen for the freight train, right? Can you imagine when the Holy Spirit came blowing in there? My fa- one of my favorite preachers, Vance Havner, he's with the Lord. He's born in 1900, so he'd be a miracle if he's still around. But he preached at the Southern Baptist Convention in the 1950s, and he said this. The Spirit came at Pentecost in the sound of a rushing mighty wind. We've replaced him with air conditioning. He said, and if the Holy Spirit were to leave, probably most of us wouldn't notice. Because we made ourselves comfortable in our building with our padded pews and our carpet and our nice clothes. And, and we've lost the point. The point is that we have to be... You know, I preach for 10 weeks, we pray for 10 minutes and nothing happens. They prayed for 10 days and preached for 10 minutes and 3,000 people got saved. You think maybe the issue is we don't pray enough? We don't ask God enough for his giftedness to us that God would you gift us? And I, I, wanted, I meant to say this earlier. Let me say it now. I'll just take a break in the outline to say it. I want to warn you about something. Do not ever call the Holy Spirit an it. He is he. He is the third person of the Godhead, the Trinity. He is God of very God in essence, source, power, dominion. 
and he has a specific role, but he is God of very God. And he is a he. And if I'm ever with you and you're speaking and you say the Holy Spirit, when it comes, I will say, he, I will correct you. <laughs> because I don't want us to, and I know why we do it, because I've, I've made the same mistake, so I discipline myself not to do it. But I, I'll tell you why we do that. We don't know his name. We've been given his title. We've been given his position. His position is the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. His title is the other comforter, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside us. We don't know his name. We know God the Father's name, Yahweh. We know God the Son's name, Jesus. We don't know the Holy Spirit's name. But Jesus told us when we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that's not forgivable. So in that way, he is mightier, in, in a sense, than, the other, than Father and Son. He's not. But, God is, but Christ has given him that exalted position. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and by the way, everybody has, well, what is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible's very clear about it. When you say that the work of God is a work of the devil, you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. He said this because the Pharisees said about Jesus when he did a miracle, he has a demon. He said, you better be careful, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. This was done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that's not forgivable. Do you know that? So just be real careful when you see a work of God that you are careful not to say, oh, that's just trickery. Oh, that's just. I mean, there are people out there trying to trick people, but I'm just telling you, when God does something, God does it, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, back to my outline. There was a specific sound. There was this wind blowing in. There was a specific sight. There were tongues of fire that rested on their heads. You say, you think that's literal? If it ain't literal, I don't know why he said it the way he said it. It appeared like tongues of fire resting on their heads. I used to have a cartoon. If I could have found it, I'd put it on the wall up here. And it was a guy walking down the street with a tongue of fire on his head. And it was two old Baptists in the background going, I suspect Bob is a charismatic. (laughs) The point of the cartoon was this. If God did show up that way, some of us would start wondering what that was. And we would never give God credit. Do you know that? It was a specific sight. It was a tongue of fire. Here's my point. It was noticeable. Has God made such a difference in your life? It's noticeable. It's like the atheist teacher said to the little kid who claimed Christ. Oh, do you think Jesus really turned water into wine? He said, I don't know, but I saw him turn whiskey into groceries. Has your life changed radically because Jesus has invaded your life? It ought to. It ought to be where people go, what in the world is that? I'm just telling you, you ought to walk with the Lord. I, Sundays I don't feel like walking with the Lord. It's the power of the Spirit gets me here some Sundays. You know? There are days I wake up, I don't feel saved. Some of those days are Sundays. There have been times I, 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 I never feel adequate to get up here, but there's some Sundays I really don't feel adequate to get up here. I, I'm like that guy who woke up, told his wife, she said, get up, it's time to go to church. He said, I ain't going today. She said, well, of course you are, get up. And he said, no, I'm not going. I'm tired of it, I'm not going. She said, well, why don't you tell me why you're not going while you get ready? And he said, well, I, those people, they just, they hate me and I hate them. And I just, I don't like the way things are going at church and I ain't going. She said, I'll give you one good reason why you are going. You're the pastor. You have to go. <laughs> That's never happened to me here. Friend, let me just tell you, there was something that they saw that was different. I don't think we have to have a visible flame of fire on our head. If God gave it to us, praise the Lord. I don't care. I'm just saying there was something noticeable. 
Now, you know, and people try to explain all this away. I just accept it and go on. I don't care because I don't see anywhere else in the New Testament where that happened again. I mean, never again. Paul didn't have it. Nobody else had it, yet God's work went on. But it happened that day. There was a sign given that day. And and I'm not saying God can't. He he may want to. The fourth thing I want you to catch is there is a specific sign. Notice what it says. We're in verse 3. Divide tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And actually in verse 4. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, here's where y'all get all bent out of shape. is because it says they spoke in other tongues. Let me, let me stop and just define that for a second. First of all, this word for tongues is very specific. It means it is a known spoken language on this planet at this time. Okay, that's what that word means. Later on in, in the New Testament, Paul writes about an utterance, an ecstatic utterance that the, even the one saying it doesn't even know what he's saying. In this instance, we, we believe, and there's a couple of ways we can look at this passage. It's written in such a way there's some question. But I will tell you this. Verse 4 says that they spoke with other tongues. So they did speak in a language they did not learn at school or by their trade. And they probably knew two or three anyway. But here was the point on that day, and we'll have to see this in later time and, and, and later in the chapter. But I need to say it so you get a grip on it. It was a festival. People from around the world had come, all the Jewish people. But they had grown up in those other countries because they'd been in exile for four or five hundred years before this event. And so they had learned a different language. And they get there and what they hear is the gospel being given in their language. Now, was it a miracle of hearing or a miracle of speaking? We don't know. The apostles were speaking in a language not their own. So it's very possible you got 12 guys and they're preaching in different languages and people are hearing in different languages, Peter being the main spokesman. Or it could be that Peter just spoke in his native vernacular language and everybody heard in their own. There are modern instances of that happening. But that could be what happened. The point, though, I would say, and I wanted to explain that so I could come back to this. That point is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Here's what matters. They preached. 3,000 people understood and got saved. And the sign of the coming of the Holy Spirit is not speaking in tongues. It's speaking. That's what was promised in Acts 1.8. You will be filled with power and you shall be my witnesses. Now, before you shout amen too loud... That means if you're not being his witness, you're not filled with power of the Holy Spirit. So let's just back the bus up a minute. Before you want to start fussing people about speaking in tongues, are you speaking at all? How about you using the English language which you already know to speak about God? That would be a greater thing than fussing about somebody else speaking in tongues. That'd be a greater thing than you speaking in tongues. If you talk to somebody that understands English and you know English about Jesus in English. I would applaud that. Amen. Hallelujah. We're actually doing what God uh, called us to do. And friend, if you're ever in a situation where God needs to give you another language, he can do that. Don't don't fret about that. It's not a big deal. And and the rest we can talk about. It's no, no big deal. But that's not the point. The point is they spoke and they spoke the gospel. The real sign is that we get vocal. The only sin the Holy Spirit can't overcome is our silence. You say, well, I, I think it's a private thing. I shouldn't speak about it. Really? The psalmist said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You shall be my witnesses. I don't, I'm not saying there's not different roles in the church, the body, leading people to Christ. Because the Holy Spirit is given to the body. That leads me to my last thing. There's a specific result. 
There's a specific empowering. The Holy Spirit came. There's a specific equipping. They were able to witness to a multitude of nations in that moment. That, That is an empowering of the Holy Spirit. And equipping to get the job done. Now here's the question. Are we filled individually or as a body? And the answer is yes. You are filled as an individual by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what you've got to understand is the Holy Spirit has come to live in you. And no Old Testament saint did that happen. He would come on them and he didn't come in them. But the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and lives in us. And Paul said, we carry around in these broken clay vessels the eternal weight of glory. God, the third person of the Godhead, lives in you. So why do we live such weak, defeated lives? Why does the church live a weak, defeated life when the body is filled with the Spirit? And I'm going to say something that it may offend somebody because of your sensibilities. It's not meant to be offensive, but it is meant to be a fact. I heard the wise man in the world say this, and I'd never forgotten it. And it's a great concept to help you get a hold of this. The body that bears and the breast that feeds is in the same body. You see, there's not a uterus just hanging out in space making babies. The uterus is inside the mom. And her body, in the right relationship, creates and produces a new child to come into the world. You follow that? You should have learned this in biology in school. Or your mama should have told you, or your daddy. Now that baby's got to eat. Once the baby's born, you just don't lay it out there and say, well, you know, if you're hungry, there's stuff in the kitchen. The mom feeds the baby, right? And that's why Paul later says some of you are still on milk and you ought to be gotten to some sirloin steak by now. Birth, maturity. You catching it? You getting it? The body gives birth to the new spiritual baby and the body nurtures that baby to adulthood. I, I want, I'm, I'm trying to give you vision of this. I want you to get a vision of that's why we are here. That is why the Holy Spirit came to us. He did not come for us to have ecstatic utterances, even though we may. He did not come for us to have an order of service, even though he may lead us into an order of service. He did not come so we could build a building, even though we may build a building. He came that we would give birth to new babies and help them grow up to maturity in Christ. That's why he came. He didn't come to make the church beautiful and to look good with decoration and all those things and all those trappings. He came that we might have the power of God to do the task of God in the world God created and wants to redeem back to himself. Period. And I don't know anything greater in this world you could be about. I really don't. There have been some famous preachers been asked to run for office and they said, Billy Graham I think was the first one. And he said, God made me a preacher. Why would I stoop to be a king? The greatest thing any of us could do is be a preacher of the gospel. I don't mean the office of pastor or the office of preacher. I mean God has called every one of us to preach the gospel. You're called to preach the gospel to your family, to your workmates, to your friends, to your neighbors. Just as I'm called to preach the gospel in all those areas plus here. So what in the world are you going to do with all this? Well, I got some suggestions. Determine the time in your life. Where are you right now? Are you not saved? I mean, you may not even know Christ. You may not know God. You may not be reconciled to God. You may be living with guilt and not understanding about how Christ can forgive you of your sin and even cleanse your conscience. And you can be made a brand new creation in Him. 
So you need to determine that. Maybe you've been walking with God a long time, but you are not walking in the Spirit any longer. Maybe you, you've been saved for many, many years. Ephesians 5, 18 tells us to be filled with the Spirit. And others tell you, you do that by emptying yourself of the junk that's in there because the Spirit needs an empty vessel to fill and then asking, ask Christ to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And that happens as you repent of your sin and you turn to Christ and ask His to refill you. So the question is, are you walking with God in Christ by the Holy Spirit? And if you're not at that place... Today, you need to get that straight if you're, if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, you need to be saved. You need to come to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, help. I surrender. I give up. You take over. Take my life. Take, take me, make me what you want me to be. Come into my life. Save me in my sin. I follow you from this day forward. I, I want to follow you. Secondly, be filled every day, often, by the Holy Spirit. We're only baptized once. We're filled over and over and over and over and over again. That's why the Bible talks about baptism, Romans 6, Romans 8, that we're baptized in the Spirit, and if we're not, we're not saved. But it, he also tells us in the Scripture, but you can be filled continuously. It's, an, it's, it's really, we ought to be always being, being filled. It was said this way once to me, I never got to the Honda state of spiritual existence. I have to live close to the pump. I've got a pickup truck at home. And by the way, it could be yours for the right money. It's an F-250 heavy duty. It's not four-wheel drive. That's why nobody around here wants it. But anyway, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. And it'll pass anything on the highway except a service station. <laughs> if I drove it to work every day for a week, I'd have to fill it up and it cost me 90 bucks. I'm not a good salesman, obviously. <laughs> it'll pull anything. But boy, the gas mileage is low. Guess what? God made us low mileage believers you won't go very far without the power the filling of the holy spirit and he means for you to live close to the pump so every day you got to be in the word and in prayer jude 20 says this building ourselves up in our most holy faith it's written down praying in the holy spirit if you're not praying in the power of the spirit you're not praying you're praying what you think you need to be letting god direct your praying and when you read his word you know how to pray and when you pray in the spirit he helps you pray and so, be filled every day, often, by the Spirit. Use the word in prayer for that. Thirdly, speak the gospel to at least three people this week. I didn't say lead somebody to Christ. Just tell them the gospel. You know what the gospel is. Jesus died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. And if you call on him, he will save you from your sin. That's it. That's it. It's not any more complicated. We teach classes. That's a great thing. We do all these things. That's wonderful. I was talking to a friend of mine today, this morning, that used to be a charismatic guy, or went to a charismatic type church. And he was telling me that there, there are some places and quarters of that where they will teach you how to speak in tongues. And I said, really, and Baptists teach people how to share their faith. I thought that was just a result of being filled with the Spirit. That's what's promised in Acts 1.8. Now, I'm teaching a class on sharing your faith on Sunday nights. So obviously, I don't think that's a wrong thing to do. My point is this, though. If you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, God will use that. I have tried to witness and messed up royally. And years later, have that person come back to me and say, Man, I never forgot that you talked to me about Jesus. And I got saved, and I wanted you to know. And I'm going, really? I, I did it all wrong. I totally messed up. I can't believe that. You see, God will let them hear what they need to hear and let them forget what they need to forget. 
if you'll be faithful. It's not a matter of ability, it's a matter of availability. So this week, three people just talked to him about Jesus. I've had people telling me about it. Just say, you know, Jesus loves you and he, he wants you to go to heaven with him. He loves you so much, he died on a cross for your sins. He was buried, he rose again on the third day. And if you'll pray and ask him to, he'll, if you just talk to him and ask him to come in, he'll change your life. That's all you got to do. It only takes a minute. You can do that anywhere, anytime, very quickly, very easily. And you might be surprised. You may have talked to 20 people, see one of them get saved. You may have talked to 10 people, see one of them get saved. But the point is, if you talk to them, somebody will get saved. I can promise you that. Eventually, you'll find one. What would it look like if we all did that? What would it look like if everybody in this church talked to somebody once every two weeks about Jesus? I can tell you what it looked like. In two years, everybody in Stanton will have heard the gospel. We'll just do that. Just one person every two weeks. I'm asking you to do three this week. So the problem is not with God. It's with us, isn't it? We're not being faithful. He has given us everything we need. At the birth of the church, the Spirit came to empower us to do everything he asked us to do. Because God never orders off the menu. He doesn't pay the bill. And he's already paid the bill on the cross. He's paid the bill by getting us the Holy Spirit. Now we're supposed to be out there eating the meal. We're supposed to be doing the work. And if we'll just do it, what would it look like if we all decided we're going to follow God instead of our own inclination? It would revolutionize this city. I mean revolutionize this city. We would see revival break out because God would show up and show off. Because his people are being obedient.